today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28. That's, on, that's page one, 1,188 in the Church Bibles. Final instructions. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard, in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome, particularly if you are uh, new or visiting us. It's lovely to ha have you here this morning. Um, as the MTs are introducing themselves, I might as well introduce myself. I'm Jonathan. I'm not a Minter trainee. I'm a pastor. I went... Uh, if I want to impress someone, I would say I went to Liverpool University, which is technically um, not, it's not quite true. I um, went to Liverpool Hope University College, studied history and IT, and now I'm here. Um, and yes, it was an unusual combination, history and IT. No, I didn't do the history of computers uh, after all the comments, I, will, I guess. So we're going um, to have a look at God's Word uh, together this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. We need God's help to, to listen to have our ears opened and our eyes to see. Um, so let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you on this uh, final uh, week in 1 Thessalonians, and thank you for what you've been teaching us over the last uh, six weeks. Father, please would you be speaking to us this morning. Uh, help us to have our uh, eyes and ears opened by your Holy Spirit. And Father, help us not just to be Bible hearers, help us to be Bible obeyers. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as I said, today's last week in our seven-week sermon series in 1 Thessalonians, Paul's letter to the, the church in Thessalonica. Um, and Paul wrote that, ch uh, that church letter for one main reason. What, there's one purpose why Paul put pen to parchment in order to write to the Thessalonians, and it was this. He wrote so that they would stand firm. And he wrote that they would stand firm by living holy lives, so that in living holy lives, when Jesus comes back, they would be ready. And that, that's just a big summary, the big idea of 1 Thessalonians, that we would stand firm by living holy lives, ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. And the main threat uh, to the Thessalonians standing firm was that 
um, hostility that they faced from those around them who weren't Christians. This is the uh, first century AD. Christianity is very, very small uh, and is seen um, positively maybe the sect of Judaism, but actually uh, by most seen as a threat, particularly by uh, the Roman Empire and, and, and the pagan religions. And as we fast forward 2,000 years, our Heavenly Father has been saying to us as City Church the same thing. Uh, there's many differences in, in language, in city where they, where they were, um, and in culture, but God's word to us today is a similar thing as it was back then. And he's saying to City Church Birmingham, stand firm in your faith in the Lord Jesus. Despite the pressures that we face, which might not be actively as hostile as the, the, they were back in, in 1 Thessalonians, in, in Thessalonica, but it's there. So stand firm in the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus City Church Birmingham. And we do that by living holy lives. And um, as you do that, you are ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. And the difference between us and the Thessalonian church is that, as I said, we might not be facing the same degree of hostility from the surrounding culture uh, that they faced. I, I, I reckon... Uh, if you were to, to say 1 Thessalonians, or the situation in Thessalonica is like a particular country at the moment, it might be a little bit more like you know, Pakistan or Iran rather than England, uh, because people in Thessalonica are dying for their faith in the Lord Jesus, and we're not doing that. That's not the persecution or the pressures that we face. But there are others, maybe, other, maybe more subtle pressures that we face as a church not to stand firm. And so, for example, there can be external pressure on us by the surrounding culture not to stand firm. So, for example, the gospel says, and 1 Thessalonians has said, that we need to live holy lives. But these views of living holy lives to honor the Lord Jesus can be very unpopular with the wider culture. And culture is exerting pressure on churches like City to either shut up about holiness or to compromise. And that's the one, one pressure that we can face, not to stand firm uh, by, by living holy lives, ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. But there can be also internal pressure not to stand firm. For example, in the future, I mean, we've had uh, 20 years of great unity at City, but in the future, um, there could be a disagreement in the church which leads to disunity. And that could threaten us standing firm in the Lord Jesus. We could, instead of being holy, we could actually have a massive go at each other because we disagree on something. And they could, then they could, there can be pre pressures caused by factors which are more neutral than uh, internal arguments or external pressure. Uh, City Church uh, uh, has existed for 20 years, and we pray that by God's grace, City will continue to share the good news of Jesus for another 20 years. And if that happens, if, we, if City is around in, uh, in 2039... Uh, then the second 20 years of City Church will not be a carbon copy of the first 20 years of City Church. That there will be changes. And many, not everyone is comfortable with change. And that can be unsettling. And that can be um, a, an uncertain period where uh, potentially it could be a, th a threat to standing firm. And so our Heavenly Father wants us as a church uh, from, from now on um, to stand firm as we live holy lives ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. And that's what the whole, um, the last few verses of 1 Thessalonians are. It's not a 15-point sermon. Uh, it's not far off, it's five. Uh, there's five ways in which Paul says to the Thessalonian church 
this is how you can stand firm as you wait for the return of the Lord Jesus so that when he returns, you are holy, you are set apart, you are different. And in being different, being holy and set apart, you are ready for his return. So let's, uh, let's have a look at um, those five ways which we can stand firm as a church. So first, stand firm by respecting your leaders, verses 12 to 13. And so the Thessalonian church was a really young church. They hadn't been Christians for very long. And that was true for the members, but it was also true for the, the leaders of the church. Apparently, this seemed to be a cause of great friction and tension within the church. Because these young leaders had had to admonish or rebuke or, or uh, tell off some of the Christians in the church. And it seemed that those Christians hadn't taken it very well. What right have you got to tell me how to live? You haven't been a Christian any longer than the rest of us. You, you might be a leader in name, but yeah, you're the same as us. How dare you tell me how, how I should live my life? And with those sorts of maybe uncomfortable conversations and confrontations going on in the church, Paul writes, verse 12, directed not so much to the leaders, but to the members of the church. Have a look at verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, Live in peace with each other. And so instead of arguing with their leaders and resenting them, the Thessalonians were to hold their young in the faith, young in the faith, inexperienced leaders with great respect. They were to love them deeply. They were to love them wholeheartedly. They weren't to go to war against them. Rather, at the end of verse 13, they were to live in peace with their leaders, even when their leaders had to have that a difficult conversation that they weren't living holy lives. And so whatever the future holds for City, if we're to stand firm as a church, then we need to hold our church leaders in the highest regards. We're to respect them and love them wholeheartedly. And in today's society, that's countercultural, isn't it? Because there's a deep distrust of authority and leadership. And you can sort of understand that in the society that we live in because leaders in politics, business entertainment and the church have taken advantage of others and that has led to a distrust of leadership and uh, a sense of um, why why should we submit to, 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 to lead leaders like that but leaders in the church aren't to be uh, are to be different they're not to take advantage of others instead we're to work hard and to care for the people in the church and in effect Paul is describing the kind of leader the Lord Jesus is he worked hard uh, and cared for the people he came to serve ultimately dying on a cross to save them from their sins and the elders and the deacons at City Church desperately need your prayers that we will be Christ-like leaders in that way yes it's not a blanket command to follow uh, Christian leaders um, what, what, whatever they do, we need to be, we need to, to a certain extent, earn your respect to a certain extent. But one part of the role of a leader is to admonish, uh, another word for that is rebuke, tell off Christians who aren't living holy lives. Because in order to be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus, we need to be holy, we need to be living holy lives. And you know what? It's not my favorite part of being an elder because I hate confrontation. But it is a vital part, uh, because throughout 1 Thessalonians, Paul has been encouraging his readers to live holy lives. 
And so when the return of the Lord Jesus happens, they're not surprised in a nasty way. And, you know, it's a loving thing uh, if if, if, uh, a leader talks to a Christian who isn't living a holy life and and say, actually, this this isn't right. You need to repent. The Lord Jesus is is gloriously gracious and will, 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 will forgive you, but you can't live like this. Uh, and be ready for the return of the Lord Jesus. And it's so easy to respect and love the leaders of the church when things are going well, when, uh, when, we're, when you're not the focus of, of um, a leader saying, actually, I'm not sure you're living quite rightly here. But it's not so easy to respect and love them when they, they, they rebuke us for our good and in love. Of course, as leaders, we need to do that gently. We need to do that lovingly. And sometimes we get it wrong. But whether, uh, whether we're uh, encouraging you or saying, actually, you're not living the way that the Lord Jesus wants, as a church, we need to respect our leaders, to hold them in the highest regard, in love. That's how we stand firm as a church. So second, stand firm by caring for each other, verses 14 and 15. So city will stand firm as we respect our leaders in love, but the members of City Church also have a role in helping the church stand firm because everyone is to care for everyone else. You have a role. If you are not a leader at City, you still have a role in helping the church stand firm. It's not just the responsibility of the leaders to help people stand firm by living holy lives, ready for the return of Christ. And so Paul also wanted the members of the church in Thessalonica to care for each other so that that church would stand firm. But the Thessalonian church was made up of different groups of people, different groups of Christians who were in different situations uh, in, in, in the church. And so one such group was a small number of Christians who'd given up their day jobs to wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. And that wasn't a good thing. Instead, what happened was that they, with their time on the hands, they became idle and disruptive. Plus, if you're not earning money and you need money to live and to eat, then they were sponging off uh, other people in the church for money, uh, for, for food and stuff like that. And so ironically, they, they, they gave up their day jobs to, to be ready for the return of Jesus. But in fact, the deep irony is that as they gave up their day jobs, they made themselves less ready for the return, return of Lord Jesus because they weren't living holy lives. They were, they were idle and they were disruptive. And Paul says that caring for these idle Christians wasn't just the responsibility of the church leaders. It was actually also the responsibility of the whole church, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. And so the whole congregation were to be involved in warning those Christians who'd given up their day jobs to apparently wait for the return of the Lord Jesus because they were not living holy lives. And the same is true for us today. There'll be times when Christians aren't living holy lives and other Christians in the church will notice that. You will notice that. And we're not just to shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, it's the elder's job, they'll sort it out. No, instead we're to gently warn those who aren't living holy lives. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit um, is laying on our hearts, perhaps uh, at the moment, Christians who we need to speak to this week because we're aware they're not living holy lives. And to speak to them and say, look, that's not the way you you, you 
get ready for the return of the Lord Jesus, lovingly and gently warning them and saying, you need to repent. I know that's hard, I know that's difficult, but that's maybe something that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is laying on some of our hearts today to talk to others and say, actually, you need to repent from that, that lifestyle. But that was a small group of the Thessalonian Christians. Not all Thessalonian Christians were idle and disruptive. The constant hostility the church had experienced for following Jesus had worn another group of them down, so much so that this other group was seriously considering considering giving up on Jesus. If I'm going to get hostility for being a Christian in in Thessalonica, why don't I just give up on the faith and everything will be all right and I won't have so much pressure and so much hostility. And Paul says the whole church should be involved in helping that group of Christians to keep going as Christians. Uh, Verse 14, encourage the disheartened. And I'm sure there are Christians at City Church who are considering giving up on Jesus. Uh, We might not be facing exactly the same hostility as the Thessalonians were, but we're we're disheartened because we're suffering, or we're disheartened because we're wracked with doubts about the Christian faith, and we're not sure it's true, and it's maybe just easier to give up. Or we think to ourselves, I know this is what the Bible says, but I really don't like that. And it's easier for me just to say, I'm going to give that up and, and not be a Christian anymore. Or maybe the Christian life hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out. It was harder than you thought. Uh, and you just think, oh, it's just easy if I just gave up. And those Christians within, uh, within City Church need us to encourage them to keep going. And I wonder whether you know of a Christian at City who is disheartened and who's considering giving up on following Jesus. And if so, then God has given you the responsibility, whether you're a leader or not, if you're a Christian, to encourage them to keep following Jesus. And if there's someone in your mind, how are you going to do that this week? How are you going to do that, maybe not just this week, longer term? Because there are times and when, at times in which um, people are disheartened. And it's not just a week thing. It's, it might be a month thing or a year thing or 10 years. How are you going to encourage them? So alongside the disheartened, there were Christians in the congregation who were uh, perhaps physically weak, or it might have been weak in terms of their social standing, they were bottom of the the food chain socially, I'm not quite sure, it's one or the other. So Paul commands, verse 14, help the weak. And so as a church, we need to be be focusing on, on not just helping the strong, but helping the weak amongst us, whether that is weak in terms of frailty as, as age catches up on us, or weak in terms of sickness or illness. We need to be helping the weak. Uh, and that's all, all our responsibilities. And when a church faces pressure like the Thessalonian church and other Christians within that church are idle or disheartened and weak, it's very easy to lose your temper with them, isn't it? It's very easy to think, oh, come on, you know, pull yourself together. You know, come on, you know, just, just keep going. And so Paul commands the church, be patient with everyone. We're not to fly into a rage towards those who aren't living holy lives. We're not to be irritable or exasperated with the disheartened and the weak. Instead, Paul says we are to be patient with them. 
but he's patient with them as, they, as we try and encourage them and keep them going and, and, and say, come on, live holy lives. Jesus is returning. And as we live holy lives, we're ready for his return. Third, uh, stand firm by rejoicing. That's verses 16 uh, to 18. And so with the persecution and hostility the Thessalonians are facing, it would be understandable if they began sort of grumbling themselves, oh, this is really hard. Um, and maybe even grumbling against God. Why is God allowing us to be persecuted? Why is God allowing us uh, to, for people we know and love, Christians, to be killed for their faith? And instead of grumbling, Paul wants the Thessalonians to substitute grumbling and bring on rejoicing. Verse 16, rejoice always, uh, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And Paul knows that even in the midst of persecution, the Thessalonian Christians can rejoice in what their Heavenly Father has done for them and has promised to do for them. That one day, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more persecution, no more hostility, no more Christians getting killed for their faith. And so as we rejoice in our faith, even in the tough times, it means that that will will help us to stand firm uh, in our faith. I don't know whether you come across an, uh, the, the London-based evangelist Rico Tice. So I remember him telling a story that he, when he was going through a, a tough time as a Christian. He was down, he was down under, and he confided in his Australian uh, evangelist friend, John Chapman, uh, what, what to do. And here was John Chapman's advice. Uh, Each day, aim to thank your Heavenly Father for five things, starting with the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Each day, aim to thank your Heavenly Father for five things, starting with the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Isn't that great advice? No matter what we're going through, we can still pray prayers like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the Lord Jesus willingly died for a rebel like me. Thank you that he shed his precious blood for me. Thank you that you took the punishment for all my sin, past, present, future, so I don't have to feel guilty. Thank you that I don't have to fear your judgment because of the, because of the cross. Thank you that death isn't, isn't going to be a, a source of fear to me because I know it's just a gateway to be in your presence. Thank you that you've transformed me from your enemy into your friend and that one day I'll share eternity with you in the new creation. Those are the sorts of things that we can be thanking God, no matter our circumstances, that we can be thanking God. You can also say, you know, thank your Heavenly Father that even though I'm, I'm going through really tough times at the moment, they're time limited. They're going to end one day. Thank you. And if you're a Christian, no matter what situation you're in, why not heed John Chapman's advice and each morning give your Heavenly Father thanks for five things, starting with the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Stand firm by rejoicing. So Paul, stand firm by continuing to listen to God's word, verses 19 to 22. And if you have a look at verse 19, Paul commands something which is not immediately obvious what he means. Have a look at verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Okay, (laughs) thanks Paul, what does that mean? Well, if you ever get to a verse you don't quite know what it means, then read uh, before and after, because generally that helps you understand what the verse is all about. Um, And so Paul pictures the Holy Spirit as a blazing fire. And and a real fire can be quenched or put out by pouring water over it. And in a similar way, the power of the Spirit 
can be quenched or put out in a church. But how does that happen? How do you quench the spirit? Well, verse 20 explains what it means to quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So this is, my, is verse 19 and 20 in my own words. Don't put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in the church by rejecting out of hand prophecies that come from him. That's, that's what I think. That's my own little paraphrase of verses 19 and 20. Because there were New Testament prophets in the first century AD, separate from the apostles, who would speak words from God to the church. And the words these prophets spoke didn't have the same authority as the apostle words. So what they had to do, they had to be brought together and tested against the words of, of apostles like Peter and James and John and Paul. And if the words of the prophet agreed with the words of the apostles, then the church could be sure that this prophecy was from God. And if the prophet's words were in conflict with the apostles, the words of the apostles in the Bible, then you can, you can be sure uh, that they're not from God and they're to be rejected. And so it's not entirely clear what the situation in, Thess- uh, in Thessalonica was, but it seems as though they were rejecting, automatically rejecting words of prophecy out of hand. That someone would come along and say, I've got this word from God, this prophecy of God, and they say, no, you haven't. Shut up, I'm not listening to you. And that meant that when God's word came to them in true and godly prophecy, then they were rejecting God's word. They were closing it down. They were quenching the power of the Holy Spirit as he, as he brought God's word to the church. And instead of rejecting prophecy out of hand, Paul commands them to test all the prophetic words they receive. So they'll have to hold on to all the prophecies that agree with the apostles, agree with the New Testament, and so were good and from God. And they were to reject all the prophecies that disagreed with the apostles and, and that would lead them towards evil. And I guess the question is, what does this mean for us today? And I think the big point is that we can, as a church, uh, quench or put out the power of the Spirit by not listening to God's word to us. So each week, morning and evening, the Bible is read and explained at City Church. And it's a great blessing because this is not the case in all churches. However, with great blessings come great dangers. Um, it's possible for us in City Church to get over-familiar with the Bible and to solely, um, sorry, and to slowly, gradually just stop listening, just take it for granted. Think, oh, I've, I've heard one Thessalonians before, I've been here for 10 years, uh, this is the second time through it. Um, yeah, I know, I know it. I'm, I'm just going to switch off for the sermon. And if we do this more and more, collectively, church, what we're doing is we're pouring water, we're quenching the work of the Holy Spirit as he seeks to speak to us as a church. But prophecy um, isn't limited to public reading of the Bible and sermons. Here's how John Stott defines prophecy. Uh, inclu- a, a remarkable degree of insight either into Scripture itself and its meaning or into its application to the contemporary world, and I've just underlined and, and italicked this last bit, or into his particular will for particular people in particular situations. And there will be times when God will move Christians to speak his word into particular situations of other Christians. And that might be in a personal conversation over tea and coffee, uh, or maybe at a prayer meeting or in a small group Bible study, or, or wherever. And because we're a church that puts the Bible at the center uh, maybe we're in danger of rejecting those words of prophecy out of hand because they're not directly from the Bible. Uh, if we rule them out automatically, if we say, no, I'm not going to listen to that at all, 
And then there's a danger that we could be quenching the work of the Holy Spirit at the Christian church. Now, of course, we need to compare uh, any word of prophecy with this. This this is like the trump card. It trumps everything else, the Bible. If If it conflicts with the Bible, go with the Bible every time. Um, but if the Bible agrees with that word of prophecy, then we should take it seriously. Uh, maybe a helpful example of my own life. Um, I haven't had a huge amount of words of, words of prophecy, uh, either uh, to me or, or from me, as far as I know. Uh, I remember I was a teacher uh, in a sixth form college teaching uh, IT for A-level students, but I was in the process of thinking through whether or not to, st- to stop being a teacher and actually be, uh, start uh, become a ministry trainee up in a church in Newcastle upon, uh, upon Tyne. And I was getting sent out to small churches to preach, and I preached a sermon, and then some, afterwards, you know, tea and coffee, people were chatting away. And this, this, this lady came up to me and said, oh, you know, wh- what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a teacher in a, in a, a, co- a college teaching uh, 16 to 18-year-olds. And she just said, I don't think you're going to be doing that for very much longer. And that really stuck with me, and actually, uh, it really helped me and encouraged me, and I could be wrong, but that felt like a bit of a, a word of prophecy to me. And so I hope that gives you an, sort of an example of what, what it might sound like, what it might uh, feel like for someone to say something, and it be a, a prophecy. It might be someone coming up to you and say, actually, I've been thinking about this, this verse in the Bible, and I've been thinking about you, and I think it's a particular um, um, application for you. And maybe it sounds like that. We need to stand firm by continuing to listen to God's word. So fifth, and finally, stand firm by trusting that God will get us home. And with all the pressures the Thessalonians are facing, you can understand if many of them wondered, oh, can I make it? Can I make it to the, when Jesus comes back again? Can I make, uh, as I live holy life, a holy life, am I going to keep going? And so as Paul begins to close his letter, he reminds them that they're not on their own as they stand firm. Verses 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your holy, uh, whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And it's not hard to see how that would have been so encouraging for the Thessalonian church, God the Father called them into a relationship with himself. And he is the one who will keep their spirit and soul and body blameless until the return of the Lord Jesus. He is faithful. He can be trusted to do that and to get them home through persecution and to get them home to the new heavens and the new earth. And I'm sure there are many people like me when there are times in my Christian life when I wonder, am I going to make it to the end? Will I keep going as a Christian? Or will I give up following Jesus sometime in the future? Will, will a certain circumstance I've never anticipated uh, crop up and I, I think I'll, I'll just make me give up on the Lord Jesus? Because I'm such a weak and fickle person. I, can, I can't keep New Year's resolutions, let alone keep myself following the Lord Jesus for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And verse 24 is, is an encouragement to me, and hopefully it's an encouragement to you and to us as a church. 24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The God who called you into relationship with himself through the sin-bearing death of the Lord Jesus is faithful. He will get you home. 
He will help you as you, uh, as you struggle and strive to be holy. So that when uh, Jesus returns, you'll be ready. And so the last few years, we've, been lear- we've learned, I don't know when we learned it, we learned a, a relatively new song. It's probably not new anymore, but um, new for me. Uh, which is precious to me. And when I feel weak in the faith, I sing it to myself. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, but here are some of the words. Uh, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And just to change that last line, he will hold us as a church fast. And so we stand firm by trusting that God will get us home. So as we close our seven weeks in 1 Thessalonians, God's message to us as a church is clear. Whatever our situation at the moment, whatever the future holds for City Church, stand firm. And we stand firm as a church by living holy lives because the Christians and churches that live holy lives, distinctive, different, are those churches that are ready for the return of the Lord Jesus when he comes back suddenly like a thief in the night. So as we wrap the series up, let's pray together and let's pray for us as a church and each other. Heavenly Father, We thank you so much for 1 Thessalonians. Thank you for uh, inspiring Paul by your Holy Spirit to write it. Thank you for preserving it over 2,000 years so that we could could read it. Thank you that it's not a dead letter. We thank you that it's living and active, and it has spoken to us this morning. Father, thank you for the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that gives us joy no matter what our circumstances. And Father, we do pray that as a church, And as individual Christians, that we would stand firm. That we would stand firm as we live holy lives. Father, pray that that one of the results of this sermon series is that we would be more holy as a church. Knowing that Jesus is coming back. Father, pray this week that uh, we might start putting into practice, be Bible obeyers of what we've heard. Encouraging uh, the disheartened, warning those who are not living holy lives, um, helping the weak. Father, uh, would you change our mindset away from I and what do I get out of, of church, but instead to we, that we are a body and we need each other to, to encourage one another to keep going, to keep standing firm. And Father, pray particularly for the, anyone who is particularly disheartened and is on the verge of giving up on the Lord Jesus. Father, would you move in the hearts of, of Christian friends who know that person to encourage them to, to keep going, to, to pull back from giving it all, giving it all away uh, and instead that they might keep going to the end. And we thank you for that wonderful promise uh, that you will get us home, that you are faithful and you will do it. And we want to praise you and thank you and we trust in that weak, fickle people that we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.